0: What? You have a podcast? I can't let you do that, Kyle. Good morning and welcome to another episode of Recovery from Politics podcast. I am your host, Kyle Frame, and today is Saturday, January 22nd, 2022. Fun times going on around here. So I've got this new kitten. Uh, we named him Leroy Jenkins. Look it up if you don't get it. Uh, but he's this little black cat, and, and he's the most cat I've ever had that cats. And uh, and he won't let anyone sleep. Uh, so he's got this weird thing. We call it rage bathing. And basically what happens is you'll be laying there, you're in bed, you know, your cat's laying by your legs or between your legs, and all of a sudden it, it feels like he's fighting with our other cat, Tucker, and it's just completely batshit crazy. And you're like, oh, my God, really? And you turn on a light, and Tucker's on the other side of the room, And Leroy is just sitting there, you know, paw in the air, and his face in his crotch, like, what? I'm I'm bathing here. Um, And so we call it rage bathing, and it's just, it's absolutely hilarious. I wish I could catch it on video, because it's, it really doesn't do it justice. But he looks like he's listening to death metal while he does it. I don't know why, but I just felt like starting the show, telling you that little thing about my cat. He's crazy. Leroy Jenkins. Um... So, uh, things going on, uh, this week was a very no good bad week for the Trump family and their corporation as it is, um, which, you know, is good. Yeah, sure. Prosecute criminals. That's fantastic. Uh, he had several things, uh, he lost at the Supreme Court. So a lot of documents have now been released to the January 6th commission. He was advocating executive privilege, which begins and ends with your term. Second, you're no longer president. You don't get to decide that anymore. Uh, But they've been kind of hedging their bets on this. And really, there's no legal precedent for it. Um, It's just what he does. And, of course, everyone's really excited about this. I mean, secretly, there are Republican members of Congress and the Senate and governors who are just like, oh, yes, please. Uh, take him down, reduce his numbers, make his family look terrible because they don't even want to deal with a a Don Jr. in the future in 2024, right? They all want to run for president. And they all know secretly, I can't run for president while he's there. Um, No matter how popular they are, uh, you know, this is why Trump's been going after Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida lately, Um, you know, because Ron DeSantis won't go kiss the ring. He won't say, I'm not going to run and I'm going to support President Trump. Uh, He won't do that. So Trump is kind of firing shots a little bit in his direction, um, you know, trying to weaken him right away, uh, because, you know, Trump's got this lizard brain, and I think he sees that DeSantis is his number one opponent right now uh, kind of the same way as he saw that Biden was the real threat in the Democratic Party. Like, he just knew. He's like, this is the guy that's going to give me the most trouble. Um, I think he knew that he could he could beat anybody else in the democratic field, or at least that's how he felt, right? He was very confident out of the 20 people that ran, uh, 19 of them, he would have no problem mopping the floor with, but there was this one older dude (laughs) who would give him all the trouble in the world. And that was Biden. Uh, so he does have that lizard brain. And I think right now he's looking at the Republican primaries coming up in 2024. I don't even think he wants to be president. I think he just needs the shield that the president provides I mean, there are lots of cases where he could exert executive privilege when he was the president and just deny everyone everything. And even if the courts told him to give it to him, he would just say, no, make me. And that's kind of the problem is that the courts and the you know, uh, legislature don't have a police force. That That's not their job. They don't have that. Um, you know, Congress, even if they wanted to subpoena the president, right? And even if the Supreme Court said, yes, subpoena that dude, and then he doesn't show up to the court to be subpoenaed, the only thing the court can do is refer that uh, contempt of court, contempt of Congress, to the Justice Department, which is run by the president. So it's kind of, yeah, what are you going to do? It's definitely a hole in our Constitution that we had when we wrote that up. Uh, In the grand scheme of things, we definitely should... Maybe look into that a bit more. But anyway, the Republicans are really hoping that this this could be the end, you know. Just just you know, if you can't arrest him, if you can't charge him with something, if you, if you can't do anything, just keep the remind everybody why he lost last time, which was the constant deluge of just the circus every single day. The constantly looking on your phone to see if we'd started a war with someone the constant drip, drip, drip of former advisors and former people who worked for him just just crashing down every single day. Anonymous sources up the yang (laughs) that were reporting the most embarrassing of details, Uh, and they're really hoping for that to just, if they can't knock him out of the primaries, keep him weak. And maybe, you know, a Ted Cruz or Ron DeSantis can sneak in, because that's their only shot, right? And I hate that because it means that I really don't have a choice. Ted Cruz and Ron DeSantis are, you know, uh, two halves of the same coin. They, they they both want to be the next Trump. They don't want to be their own man. They want to be the next Trump. And they're mimicking him. They're flogging themselves uh, on his behalf. You know, uh, really, that that's that's about all there is to them. And because of their you know, complete irrational support of a man, not even an ideology, I can't support them. I mean, Ted Cruz is Ted Cruz, so he was automatically never getting the vote. But Ron DeSantis at the same time is talking about, you know, uh, prohibiting masks in school. And even going as far as if it's not Florida, it's like Alabama or Georgia, they're talking about prohibiting vaccines, all vaccines, every single one of them measles, mumps, rubella, all that stuff, smallpox. No more vaccines in schools. you could just send your kid. And I'm just like, good Lord, are you serious with this shit right now? Um, but to go completely anti vax and then put it into law. That's the strange thing. It's like we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and reverse all this precedent that we've had since vaccines were invented. And we're just going to throw that all out the window and re-invite smallpox? Like, no, thank you, seriously. Uh, The smallpox you see in movies is not the real thing. Like, that is a very toned-down version. I have seen some medical photos of people who have smallpox, children who catch smallpox, and it is not pretty at all. it. I mean, you, you realize very quickly that the movie versions, anytime you saw smallpox on, on camera, is a very toned down version because if they portrayed the real thing, it it's hard to believe, you know, that the rating wouldn't immediately jump from like PG-13 to NC-17. It is grotesque what some of these diseases do to people, and I think that's part of the problem. It's been sanitized over time, and, and I get why, you know, don't get me wrong. I don't want to go to a movie and be grossed out unless that's my thing, but it's not. So I don't want to see that. Um, and you can just hint at smallpox. And because I'm a student of history, I understand completely what that is. And I don't need a reminder. Um, so, and then the Dems of course are helping that this will end his political influence. There's still this, I want to say naive belief within the democratic party that you know, they kind of thought it there at the end. Okay, Trump lost the election, the Republicans will come to their senses, and that did not happen. And then Trump committed insurrection, and now the Republicans will come to their senses, and that also has not happened. And so they're kind of sitting there, and, and they're hoping that that one day, when Trump is gone by death or incarceration or something, the the GOP will just run away from him, and return to normal. And I'd just like to shake them by the shoulders and remind them, hey, normal under Barack Obama was complete and total obstruction, which surprises the same thing they're doing now. Uh, normal is to deny a sitting president a s- Supreme Court seat just because. That's normal. Normal. Okay, Trump didn't make any of that. That shit happened on their watch before Trump was a blip on their radar. Um, This is who they are. So I I don't believe there's this normal thing right now. And even now, Biden's being caught kind of with his pants down and he's, uh, you know, openly wondering, this is the anonymous sources and newspapers we're seeing today, is like, like, he's openly questioning and, and just shocked and surprised that the Republicans don't want to work with him on anything. And... I don't know where that's coming from, especially since he had a front row seat to it under Obama, unless he was thinking, well, I'm not the black guy, so they should be willing to work with me, which maybe I don't obviously think Joe Biden is racist at all. And if he is, it's that really, really older generation that doesn't get it these days. But, you know, it, it is possible that he he came in thinking, I worked with these guys for decades they all know me, I all know them, we talk, we joke, our friends are, you know, we have the same friends, our family gets together on, for breakfast, and lunches, and barbecues, and everything, and, and why won't they work with me, and it's like, dude, that's not the point, (laughs) like, even if, so, I think I maybe brought this up, and this is a little bit off topic for what I'm getting to here, but, Um, There was this excellent piece uh, around the first impeachment of Trump, and it was, you know, asking the question, why, and even back with Clinton, why didn't the Democrats side with the Republicans? And then, you know, with Trump, the first one, why didn't Republicans side with the Democrats in that case? Uh, Why was the opposition so against it? We recall Nixon. And Nixon was 100% screwed. His own party turned on him. So you had the Democrats and you had the Republicans and everyone agreed what you did was wrong and you are going to lose this fight. They just straight up told him that. And he made the decision to resign. Um, But that hasn't happened since. And we don't know why, because... You know the public, even with you know some whitewashing that's gone on in the last few decades regarding Nixon's history, like no one disagrees that he was a bad dude and needed to go. Nobody disagrees that he overstepped his boundaries, um, and and that resigning was the right thing. And you know we can still argue whether or not Ford should have pardoned him, but but as far as him being removed from office or leaving of his own accord, like no one disagrees with that. That's totally normal, and. So when you look at the next few, you know, impeachments under that same light, you're like, well, Clinton was a sexual predator. He is a deviant. There's something wrong with that man. He should not hold that office. I don't want a sexual predator in office. Why didn't the Democrats go with that? And you could you could argue polling, but Nixon had great polling all the way through the whole impeachment up until like the last two days. He had fantastic polling um, people were not happy with this thing, um, I think he was in the 60s, and of course, Clinton enjoyed great success during his impeachment, but polls don't matter during impeachment, or at least they didn't under Nixon, so what the hell, right, um, and then you come definitely to Trump's thing, and on its face, it's like, motherfucker, he just tried to bribe a nation for them to make up some bullshit on a potential political rival, And let's be honest, that situation has kind of led us into our situation with Ukraine right now was that he was withholding military aid and other types of aid that probably would have prevented this entire scenario had they gotten it. But instead, he was putting his thumb on the scale and saying, you need to come up with some bullshit about Biden. So. It's it's just crazy to me. Why don't they, you know, why why don't they see this? the Republicans defended it. The Democrats, of course, were all in, but, but it's like, why does the opposition, or why does the party that favors the president not see the dangers of it? I mean, what really would have been the worst case scenario for Clinton? Oh no, you got Gore, the guy we all wanted in 2000. Big whoop. Only now he would have been an incumbent and probably would have, that, that would have been enough to swing him, you know, like that wouldn't have been a big loss. And even for Republicans, it's like, yeah, okay, you lost Trump, but, that's kind of a good thing. And you still have Mike Pence. You still have a Republican president who's going to rubber stamp any part of your agenda that you want. So why the hell would you side with him? Like this was, it it didn't make sense, but I was reading this piece and they're talking about the differences and they said, you have to understand the parties. In the seventies, sixties and seventies, the democratic party and the Republican party still both represented wealthy white men sure there were uh, you know uh, members of color and gender on the Democratic side and also the Republican side but but in general when it came to legislation that was passed aside from LBJ's stuff both parties represented the white man I don't think this is irrational to see by the time the 90s came around when it came to Clinton the Democratic Party clearly had shifted away, especially under Clinton, because he received a a huge uh, uh, portion of the the black vote. And so it was now seen that even though the parties are still heavily, heavily, uh, you know, uh, represented by white men, the Democratic Party no longer really represents the interests of the white man. And when I say that, I don't mean it as like, you know, white men can go fuck themselves or anything like that. It's, it's just, you know, when it comes to what they're trying to do, I mean, even their, their, their voting act, right? Their voting thing. They want to, uh, you know, lift up people of color in the red states and give them a voice. This is definitely not what Republicans want, but, you know, go with me on this, uh, build back better the infrastructure plan. You know, again, we're going into rural neighborhoods. Rural is, you know, the code for black, Uh, you, You know, we want to fix these things and everything. And I'm, I totally am on board for all of it. But in the grand scheme of the power struggle going on, this, this cancel culture, this culture war going on here in the United States, it is very much based in race. And so the Democrats of today are, you know, they do have more women, more minorities on their side, but overall their legislative policies, uh, help minorities, more than whites, and that's not saying it doesn't help whites. It's just that you know they're not specifically targeted at them. They will benefit. You know, it's kind of a side action, and they're still going to benefit overwhelmingly. Let Let's not pretend that you know all of a sudden you know they're not taking anything away from white people to give to minorities. um But when you look at it through that lens, it's like why won't the opposition give up? It's because we cannot give a win to the other side because now. We're not all on the same page. Under Nixon, it was fine. I mean, okay, Carter wasn't going to do anything crazy. Ford wasn't going to do anything crazy. Giving a victory to the Democrats in the 60s and 70s wasn't going to upend the apple cart. It wasn't going to change any kind of order. It wasn't going to give a victory to the other side. It was just going to give victory to the Democrats. And the Democrats were not considered the other side until that racial disparity started coming in until the Democrats really started focusing their agendas, their legislative packages on things that would help people that were not white. Then all of a sudden the Democrats became the other and they became the representatives of the other and the supporters of the other. And it it just meant, it meant irrationally that they became the enemies of white people. Um, as crazy as it sounds. And that's one of those things. It's like, so they couldn't give a victory to Trump, or they couldn't give a victory to the Democrats with Trump, no matter what he did, because that would be acknowledging that that side was right. And you can't acknowledge that the other is right. That doesn't work for your authoritarian power struggle that you're going on in your weird white supremacist head. It just doesn't work. And again, under Clinton, it was exactly reversed. Okay, the Republicans. Yeah, it probably started off as a witch hunt, but they did find something. They found a sexual predator, and they did try to deal with it, albeit not not in a good way. But they did find this out, and the Democrats stood by their man because now they, representing minorities, could not give a victory to the white establishment party. And it was interesting. I don't know if that's true or not, but it was a very interesting and compelling thing because you're like, what the hell has changed? Everyone agreed Nixon had to go. I think looking back on it now, everybody acknowledges that definitely letting Clinton go would have been great. And also, you know, here you got to think 20, 30, 40 years from now, Republicans, you know, we're going to open up our history books and be like, why the fuck didn't they get rid of this guy with the Mueller report? Why did they let him hang on? Um, and I think it's interesting. It's, it's kind of that whole, uh, yeah, the thing they hate this the CRT, you know, critical race theory. It's like, we're not saying it's happening. We're just saying, what if you put this particular comparison, the impeachments, what's the real difference between them? And if you take it and put it into a racial lens and it does make for an interesting argument or at least something that should be heard, I think it should be discussed, um, taught at college level. I don't think this is anything for anybody, you know, K through 12 is not going to get this. Um, and that wouldn't happen anyway. They don't do that. Um, but if you wanted to teach it in college, yeah, sure. Um, anyway, to my original point, I got off topic there. Sorry about that. Uh, all these things going against Trump lately, these court decisions and everything, they're fantastic. Hey, I support them. Of course. Uh, I just, I'm not excited about any of it. I'm not, I'm not, thinking about things like this, you're going after a former president and also a millionaire, potentially billionaire, because we don't have his tax returns. We don't know anything, but, you know, an ve- extremely wealthy white man with a lot of power and a lot of friends in power. Um, these kinds of cases, the reason that they take so long is because no one wants to screw it up, right? You don't want to be the DA who had the president in handcuffs and then turns out he was totally innocent, Right. So you can't just go arrest him. You can't just go get him. You have to have the most lock solid of cases. And that takes years. And it takes even longer, especially when there's so much stonewalling. You have a literal mafia organization. Trump doesn't give direct orders. You know, he probably walks into the room. He's like, oh, somebody's got to take care of that guy. And he just leaves it out there blank, just like a mafia boss would. All of his children, Don Jr., went into for a deposition and just, you know, pleaded the fifth... I think it was some crazy, like over 200 or uh, several hundred times he pleaded the fifth. He just refused to answer all any and all questions. They're not giving over any documents, even the stuff that's like basic, like the stuff they lost to the Supreme Court is just the stuff in the National Archive. Like Congress doesn't have access to the National fucking Archive, especially when Biden is like, hell yeah, let's do it. Um, So this doesn't surprise me. It doesn't shock me. I'm not excited about it. If it works, great. But I'm not getting my hopes up because really all Trump needs to do is stall and wait it out. And right now that's that's really his best tactic when it comes to lawsuits throughout the decades. Stall, deny everything. Stall, stall, stall. And it usually works because he has the money and the connections to outlast his opponents. And in this case, all he has to do is wait until November of this year. If projections remain on course, and I hope they're wrong, the Republicans will retake the House and the Senate. At which time, that January 6th commission is going to be immediately changed. It's either going to be outright disbanded, which I wouldn't vote against, you know, I I think that's possible, or what I think is more likely, it becomes taken over. They're going to put Jim Jordan. They're going to put Marjorie Taylor Greene on it. They're going to eject all the Democratic Congress people, including, you know, Adam Kinzinger's not seeking re-election, so he's obviously not going to be there. Uh, You know, Liz Cheney, if she survives her re-election, is going to be ousted off that committee, and they're going to replace it with, you know, it's going to become like the Benghazi hearings, where it's just a new hearing every day, spouting some new conspiracy theory bullshit, because... You know, what's the best thing to do with this committee if you don't just outright stop it? Delegitimize it. Throw enough shit at the wall that nobody believes a damn thing coming out of it, and they retroactively, you know, paste that same shit button onto everything the Democrats are doing right now. And given that disinformation is kind of the wheelhouse of the Republican Party right now and everyone on the right, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, My money's on that. I'm pretty sure that's where they're going with this. So... You know, uh, time's only going to tell, but I think they're going to go ahead and delegitimize it, and that's, that's just a shame. Uh, but anyway, uh, foreign policy in Ukraine next. Okay, welcome back. Uh, so one of the big stories going on right now is dealing with Ukraine and uh, President Biden and, in general, you know, his low poll numbers and foreign diplomacy Uh, A lot of people are giving him a negative grade right now, which I don't think is fair. I think, you know, obviously the media focuses very heavily on the failures or perceived failures, and they don't really focus on uh, any successes. And even when it comes to the failures, they don't provide context. For example, Afghanistan. I think the number one context you have to understand is that Biden came in. There was no transition. Remember, uh, Trump never conceded. He got no help on transition, no funding to transition. There were no updates. There were no file turnovers. There was nothing. He came in on January 20th completely and totally blind him and his entire staff. So there's that. Uh, The deal to withdraw from Afghanistan was already made under Trump. Uh, so basically you had from January 20th to mid-year to arrange this withdrawal from Afghanistan. And that's, I'm sorry, you're withdrawing thousands of troops from a military combat zone that is being overrun by the Taliban and you only have a couple months to prepare and you you, you had nothing. I mean, it, it it's baffling to me that his numbers fell as long and as hard as they did when it was like... The fuck did you expect? Even the 9-11 commission acknowledged that part of the problem with 9-11, that 9-11 was so bad in part because Gore and Bush had to take their case all the way to the Supreme Court and that actually cut into the transition. Now, at least, you know, Clinton started the transition with Bush when, you know, Gore conceded, but there was no conceding this. And Trump just refused to do a transition. So, I mean, if we're willing to give a pass, a very weak pass, in my view, for 9-11 when it comes to Bush, uh, how on earth uh, Biden doesn't get that same benefit of the doubt absolutely infuriates me. And I think the media does a very poor job of explaining that whole situation and then giving it context. Yes, the departure was a shit show. Did the guy in charge, you know, have every single part of that failure fall on him? No, there should be a referendum on Trump and his abilities as well, but we're not gonna focus on that. Um, You know, and then even with Ukraine, like I mentioned in the last segment, you know, literally our last president was withholding military aid from this country that now all of a sudden faces a military challenge from Russia. Had that not been withheld, would Russia still be as interested in invading it right now? I'm I'm guessing that it would at least be something they'd consider. But instead, you have, you know, Trump's fingerprints all over this thing again. uh, Indirectly, I suppose, because I don't think it was ever his plan to do this. But he definitely took marching orders from Putin. And Putin was definitely telling him, I don't give a shit about Ukraine. Go ahead and, and take everything away from them. You know, so... It's very difficult for me to trust the media when it comes to this, you know, giving all these negatives. But at the same time, it also sucks because the Democrats are doing a shit job of explaining this as well. You know, Biden doesn't get up and say anything. Kamala Harris doesn't get up and say anything. You know, not even Bernie Sanders, uh, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer. They don't want anything to fucking do with Afghanistan. They prefer to put their head in the sand like it never fucking happened. Um, I think that's a mistake. I think they should have gone on the offensive. And yeah, in that case, I think they should have punted the football. I think they should have immediately been like, yeah, that was a shit show because we only had four months to plan for it because of this dickweed who wouldn't get out of the office. So you really... I mean, I think they should have totally... This was like one instance where I'm totally cool with blaming the previous guy. Like, fuck yeah, this is his fault. And that also comes in for for COVID, you know... Uh, the Republicans right now are bashing Biden over COVID and Omicron and this new variant. And Oh my God, how is he not ready? Again, there was no transition. Biden had absolutely no power or control over what happened until January 20th. And he then had to hit the ground running. And of course they're going to be stumbling blocks because that's what happens. Um, but you know, you're, you're asking him to come in and swoop in and fix this in an extremely short amount of time with no benefit of the doubt, with no, you know, the previous guy helping at all. And it just, it it completely annoys the crap out of me. And then of course, not only do you have the Democrats not defending Biden, you have the Republicans just jumping on as if the last four years didn't fucking happen as if they didn't like cheer on Trump for, you know, just, just shitting all over this thing and making vaccines, a culture war and wearing, wearing masks are for losers and, and totally screwing this up. Let's not Let's not fake around this. Let's not bullshit this. COVID was something that could have been contained very early on. And I'm not just talking about here in the States. In previous administrations, what would have happened? The president would have gotten on the phone with the EU, NATO, China, everyone, every alliance we have, every friendly nation we have, and they would have coordinated something. They would have gone to the UN and said, we all need to get our shit together. How can we help? And they would have funneled all that money out and everything else. But instead, Trump took the isolationist method, which on its face looks like the right thing to do. You're thinking, oh yeah, there's a virus. It's in another country. You want to lock down and just sit there. Well, unfortunately for us, not every country has our medical system. Not every country has our wealth. Not every country has our infrastructure. We alone could fix it. It's like World War II. World War II without the United States would have ended completely differently. The United States, in certain instances within history, and yes, retroactively on this, could have taken a lead role, could have organized. A strong president could have sat up there, demanded funds, gotten them, and organized a global response to this pandemic instead of this everyone-for-themselves, which obviously created problems in nations like China and India and even Russia, where they don't have that infrastructure, and people are getting sick, and you have authoritarians who don't want to admit that this shit's happening. And what happens? It mutates and it grows. And once that happens, I mean, you can lock down your country only so much before it gets in here. But you have these Republicans and it sucks because they're not arguing in good faith at all. They're completely blinders on like like the last five years didn't happen. And they want to blame Biden for everything. And the thing that really annoys me is it's going to work like they're going to get away with it. Uh, Republicans are not offering any alternative governing strategy here. It's just shit on Biden all the time. This annoys me no matter which side is doing it. It is a constant within our politics, especially in the last few decades, of if I'm the opposition, all I have to do is point at whoever's in charge and say they suck and emphasize every little nitpicky thing that they could get wrong in a country of over 300 million people With thousands of federal workers it's very easy to do it's extremely easy to do but when it comes to solutions I'm not going to offer any none at all I'm just gonna say I can do better you know um, a lot of people want to criticize the Romney campaign uh, back in 2012 like oh he didn't go on the offensive hard enough and I'm like no because he was actually trying to run as an old-school like 70s Republican Even even a late or early 90s Republican who was like, well, I disagree with Clinton, but here's what I would do. And unfortunately, what they found out, the lesson they learned from that is when you offer up your plans, these experts, these Ivy League individuals, the hated left, right? These economists, these people who've studied these issues for years, they look at your plan and they go, "Mm, yeah, no, that's not going to work. Paul Ryan on the House floor can talk about the budget and deficits all he wants and sound super smart because he's talking to the rubes. But the second he tries to sell his pitch to the economists, all of them are like, ah, yeah, that's not going to work. No, even under the most conservative estimates, that's going to blow up in your face and suck. So he wasn't facing, (laughs) he was facing a completely different level of scrutiny, whereas Trump just came in and said, Obama sucks. I can do better. Hillary sucks. I can do better. And everyone bought it. And it worked because then you don't have to defend your own ideas, you know, because the journalists are so busy covering your controversies and your bullshit statements. They don't have time to ask, okay? but what would you do? Like, seriously, that's that's what I would like. And even if they do that, they're not going to answer. They're like, oh, you know, well, uh, well, I would I would have discussions with experts and everything like they're never going to sell their plan. That's why they don't have a plan right now. You know, make America great again was nothing but a slogan. There was no actual, well, how do you, how the fuck do you do that? Like, seriously, what's your plan? I would love to hear it. I'd be very interested in what the conservative plan to legitimately make America great again is. What policies, what legislative, you know, bills are you going to push forward? What what are you doing? But they don't do that anymore. And even Mitch McConnell alluded to that uh, earlier in the week, you know, before he stepped in it over, you know, black Americans not being Americans. Uh, you know, he, he was saying before, I think actually somebody did ask him the question, you know, what, what legislative agenda have you got planned? You know, I mean, polling suggests you guys are going to come in. You're going to, you're going to take over Congress. What do you think you can get done with the Biden administration in those two years? What are you looking to work with? And Mitch McConnell's just like, yeah, we don't have anything. We're not interested in that. It's like, wait, what the fuck are you going to Congress to do? Are you going there to legislate? What, what is there? Then, as far as Mitch McConnell's concerned, this is a win-win for him. If he regains the Senate, there's absolutely no chance of a Supreme Court change during Biden's term. I don't care if the person dies on day one of the new Senate. And there's two years before the election. Mitch McConnell's just going to be like, yeah, I'm not going to let you replace Breyer. Sorry. Because he knows that it works. I mean, it really does. And it's sad and it's pathetic, but it does. Um, it, it, And in truth, the thing I'm really pissed off, I mean, sure... Media plays a part. The journalists are all about the sensationalists. They're gonna sensationalize the bad stuff, not focus on the good stuff. Policy articles don't sell to anyone but people like me. I love policy. I love reading about legislating duels and all that stuff. I love about I love debates. But a lot of people don't. It's that it's that old moniker, nobody wants to see how the sausage is made, right? And it's true when it comes to politics. There's a lot of infighting and backfighting and backstabbing, and and it it all just completely sucks, and it's one of the reasons our our politics has changed. You know, the Senate used to be called the greatest deliberative body in the world, and it used to be, but now they don't debate anymore. There are no debates. There are no amendments to bills. In case you haven't noticed, the only legislation that gets passed are in these huge, monolithic, 2,000-page tomes filled with legalese, and it's impossible. Nobody reads this shit. Nobody. Nobody, nobody, nobody. <laughs> okay? It, it, nobody's read the whole thing. At all. I'll agree with the Republicans on that. When these huge omnibus packages, you know, go through and that's their big complaint. I haven't even read the damn thing. Okay, fine. Because the entire deal is hashed out behind closed doors, nobody gets up and debates why their particular amendment is great. Amendments haven't been allowed in Congress in over six years. That's That's just whoever the fuck is in charge of Congress. It has nothing to do with party. Both parties have done this. No amendments. Screw you. You take what we give you. So leadership, i.e. not like AOC or people that have good ideas like Bernie Sanders, but leadership, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, and their dickweeds, They go ahead, they negotiate everything behind closed doors, usually with a shit ton of lobbyists and CEOs, and then they present it on the floor, and they demand party sacrifice. You are a Democrat, you must vote for this. You are a Republican, you must vote against this. And that is fucking it. So it's all done behind closed doors, and the problem is the opposition blames the people in power for that. Like, the Republicans are all about, build back betters being built without us and behind closed doors, and they're not wrong, but at the same time, they do the same shit when they're in charge. Um, and and I completely hate this, but the reason that it happens is because we, the voters don't take an active interest in that. We're not interested in that. We don't want to see debate. We don't want to see anything. We want results. Damn it. And that's what poll after poll has shown. You know, everybody talks a big game about bipartisanship heading into an election, but once your party's in charge, you could give a fuck what the other side has to say. That's a very human response. But that's the problem. Is it like do you want to blame the politician for doing what wins, for doing what works, what gets them reelected, what gets them donations? Do you really want to blame them for that when it's us who are the problem? We're the ones who keep fueling this fire. We're the ones not demanding debate, we're the ones not demanding an open and fair process. We keep reelecting the people who are abusing it now. So clearly they're doing something right, right? Um and it's yeah, it's it's just we the voters of this country need to wake up, pay more attention and read the news. Turn off your cable. It's all garbage, all of it. Even even the good shows you think you like, you're not getting it all. And also, it doesn't work the same way. They they've done these studies where they'll put people's brains under cat scans, right? And they'll have somebody read versus watch TV or even listen to the radio or this podcast, right? And if it's a if it's a a, a considered a passive entertaining thing, like watching TV, listening to the radio, whatever, you're just sitting, you're, you're listening, uh, your brain, eh, it lights up, you know, there's some computations going on there, of course, uh, but when you read, your brain lights up like a Christmas tree, like all of it is engaged. Your memories improve. Your chances of remembering the story are better. You'll remember the details more. Uh, you'll remember the names, the who, what, when, where's, and how's. Like, all that stuff is going to stick in your brain a little better. Your critical skill thinking, like, that that also kicks in, too. So if you read something that doesn't make sense, you'll question it. You'll be like, hey, wait, no, that that's not right. But if you hear your trusted voice, like me on a podcast or Rachel Maddow or whoever the hell it is you listen to, you will give them the benefit of the doubt and be like, well, you know, they did their research, right? It it's very true. This is this is a normal thing that happens, and I think that's part of our problem. We have gotten away from print media so much that it's it's become detrimental to us. And now you've got people like me who read the news very very angry at all you who don't, and that's not fair. It's not your fault. Anyway, back to Ukraine. Uh, so Ukraine's got this issue going on right now where they have hundreds of thousands of Russian troops on their border. Putin is sitting there very angry, saber-rattling. And Tucker Carlson and the right are actually sucking on his balls right now. They they kind of love him. They always have. They love this strongman image. They love repeating uh, Russian KGB talking points. Uh, if you've ever noticed, we have this uh, news channel called Russia Today. It'll be RT in the bottom corner. And uh, that is Russian propaganda. Like, it's literally owned by the Russian government. Okay, they're not an independent, oh, this rich guy in Russia just decided to open a news station here, like the Australian asshole who owns Fox News. That is not what is going on. And that also, I think, should be illegal as fuck. But anyway, so they'll go ahead and repeat these talking points, and they'll say, well, you know, Putin's just defending his borders. What would we do? I think the argument was, what would we do if China and uh, Mexico joined a military agreement? That gave China a lot of control over Mexico's military. And that's a ridiculous comparison. Mexico and Ukraine are two completely different countries. We have never occupied (laughs) Mexico, okay? We we never forced them into a communist, you know, subservient status uh, at gunpoint. Uh, we, we, have never done that. I mean, trust me, we've done fucked up shit with Mexico. We've done fucked up shit with all of our, most countries in this world. But, you know, the comparison's completely not the same. Um, you know, but, but that's, that's what the right's saying. They're like, oh, you know, NATO is the, you know, what the fuck is the point of NATO? And again, for those in the back, NATO was originally established to confront the Soviet Union. Yes. NATO was also established to keep the Europeans from dragging the rest of the world into a fucking war especially because the next one's going to feature nukes. So the whole point of NATO is that you have Japan, you have Germany, you have France, you have Britain, you have all those European nations who are inside that. And yes, they were there to confront the Soviet Union. They were also there to guarantee that there wouldn't be another world war, Unless the superpower, the United States, dictated so. And at the time, that was a good thing. You have to remember, we had two generations back-to-back start world wars over petty grievances. Okay? World War I was a joke. It shouldn't have happened. It was the most ridiculous fucking war I've ever read about. The lead-up to it is like, everyone thought they were going to win in like a day. Everyone thought the other side was completely weak and stupid. It was the war that ended kings, really. Okay, the Kaiser no longer exists. The control of the militaries was a good thing. And unfortunately, we didn't learn our lessons from World War I, so we imposed them on World War, uh, you know, on the poor people from World War II, created an opening for authoritarianism in the, the faces of Mussolini and Hitler and those guys. And we, we just completely set up World War II on a table, and, and it happened again. And so afterwards, everyone was like, okay, screw this, we're creating the UN, we're creating NATO, we're, we're, we're going to create all these different institutions that will force us to work together and be unable, economically, militarily, to start shit again. This is one of the reasons why I'm a big fav- uh, big, big proponent excuse me, of the EU. European Union is good, as long as they manage it correctly. Because it links all those countries together in such a way that it would be almost impossible. I mean, could you imagine Germany and France going to war tomorrow? It, it, it's not going to happen. It's really not. Given their history, it should be always on the table. But it's not anymore. It, it, it would be the dumbest, stupidest thing ever. The people are different now. The institutions are different. Neither one of them has a military that could take the other one on that legitimately would would do it. Uh, neither one of them has the economic interests to do so. Germany and France are economic powerhouses over there. Why the fuck would they go to war with each other? They're making too much money. And yeah, I know that's also what they were saying in World War I, but there weren't institutions to push back at that. You know, there weren't institutions built in. There wasn't an EU that would jump in between France and Germany and be like, what the fuck are you two doing? Knock it off. So anyway, NATO good. Um, you know, that, that's the point of NATO. And Putin wants these reassurances that, you know, Ukraine's not going to join NATO tomorrow and yeah, whatever. It's total bullshit. NATO these days doesn't fight the Soviet Union. There is no Soviet Union. NATO is not inherently anti-Russian. NATO is anti-war, believe it or not. It is a military deterrent. The more nations that are in it, the less likely war will happen. We tend to have a lot of them in Europe because that's where the wars have been happening. That's where the most destructive wars can happen. So we really want to stop it with Russia. And anyway, that's, that's their whole point of it. The problem is Biden's kind of in a jumble here. You know, his predecessor did screw things up. He has a divided Congress and House at home. The country is divided. Going to war with Russia, of all people right now, would seem counterproductive. I have to agree. Politically, I have no idea how the polls would shake out if all of a sudden Ukraine was invaded and Biden decided we're going to send troops. I have no idea what that would do to his numbers. It could have a rally around the flag effect, or it could completely tank him and the entire Democratic Party. And because of that, I think he's probably not going to do anything. And he's talking big on sanctions. Oh, we'll, we'll sanction Russia. And of course, sanctions don't work. Um, they never have, but I have this, I have this idea instead. And I actually wrote the white house yesterday, obviously, you know, got to do my part, right? But to project strength and boldness, I think president Biden should go to Ukraine right now, get on air force one, don't tell anyone you're going or tell as few people as possible for security reasons and just land. And then, right after you, have as many troops and soldiers as you can flown in into Ukraine before Russia even has a chance to respond. Wait, what? The United States president is there? Up the ante. If you do nothing, we look weak. But if you do something, if you go there, go to the gates of the enemy and make your, you know, tear down this wall speech, okay? I mean, seriously, historically, this is how you deal with, with Russians in the tw- from the 20th century, I think it would also work with Putin. I don't think Putin really wants war. Challenge him. Dare him. Force Putin to try to invade a nation with the United States president in it. And be prepared to stay there for months. Uh, Biden should totally have uh, his entire cabinet remain in the U.S., the vice president remain in the U.S. It's not like Congress is getting anything done anyway right now, okay? Uh, The right's going to hate you for it anyway. Doesn't matter. Go there. Dare him to do something. Don't dare him. But, you know. And historically, this has worked, okay? Uh, Kennedy did it with uh, Nikita Khrushchev uh, during the Cuban Missile Crisis. You know, he stood his ground, blockaded Cuba, said this is not going to happen, period. I mean, he dared everyone. He dared the Russians to start nuclear war. They blinked. They stopped. Even Reagan, whom I hate, had a great moment. He went to the doorstep of Mikhail Gorbachev and told him to tear down this wall. Was it symbolic? Yes. Exactly. That was the point. He went there. He was right there on the gates of East and West Germany, and he dared them. Right to their faces. It emboldened the people, and it made Gorbachev realize who the hell was in charge. It has worked before, and I think he needs that. I think he needs to go to Ukraine, and that will give Putin pause. And then once he's there, he needs to deliver the mother of all speeches. He needs his own tear-down-this-wall speech. He needs to go there and demand that this shit stop, that the world order need to change, that rational leaders need to happen, that not everything can be solved with military violence. It's a hell of a gamble. And it's possible Putin could feel so backed into a corner that now he kind of has to invade or give up that whole machismo personality he's known for. That could wreck his career. But again, the alternative is starting war. Because if a United States president is in harm's way, we will go to war. And Congress will have very little to say about it, to be honest. Um... You know, I think this is his chance. Uh, It's either going to defang Vladimir Putin because, really, if he goes there and he dares him to his face and Putin backs down, which I honestly believe is the likely answer, you know, Putin's done. Like I said, politically, he's going to be seen as a paper tiger. Other nations aren't going to take him seriously anymore. It would also invigor the Ukrainian people. It'll make the Ukrainian people feel much more secure right now. You know, now they'll know the United States has our back and that's great. And if, you know, Russia does do something stupid, yeah, you're not defanging him, but you are, you know, letting everyone see exactly who he is. Everyone's going to acknowledge him as a threat to the world order the EU, NATO, our allies, they're not going to be able to tiptoe around it right now. That's kind of the problem, is that they're like, eh, we have a lot of trade deals with Russia, we don't want to screw that up, uh, Germany's got an energy pipeline with them, and if we do that, everyone's in the dark. If Russia's willing to invade a country with the United States president in it, that means that he has demonstrated an ability to go after Germany later, you know, whatever be damned. It will put some energy back into our alliances it'll let everyone know we're back on the world stage we still run this show and i think it avoids conflict um because if if russia invades ukraine and all we do is some lame-ass sanctions which you know if trump wins are going to be immediately reversed which i think putin's you know gambling on the age of america being any kind of leader on this planet. And there are plenty of arguments that we should step back, but we should step back on our own. You don't want to live in a world where, yeah, the United States is no longer the leader anymore, but we're no longer the leader because we got beat by authoritarians. The tough guy beat us. We didn't step back willingly. We didn't acknowledge, hey, it's time for someone else to lead. We got our asses handed to us you do not want to live in a world like that i would love for america not to lead but we need to step back graciously and just say hey our our time's passed you know we don't have the biggest economy anymore we don't have this anymore it's okay we're going to we're going to work more on diplomacy and less on military might we're going to let you guys police yourselves we're going to let you evolve and grow as nations without you know big uncle looking over your shoulder all the time but you don't you really don't want the united states To lose everything it has, because Putin wins. So that's our show for today. Thank you very much for listening. Um, Try to remember, we do not want or need any money or anything like that. We are completely demonetized, I think is the correct term. Uh, so anyway, uh, reach out, like, subscribe, share, you know, leave comments, all that good stuff. It's the only way for us to expand the audience again. we're not we're not paying for any advertising. we don't want any advertising. Uh, word of mouth is where we're going with this. If you'd like the show, share it. If not, man, eh, don't worry about it. Uh, but anyway, we hope you guys enjoyed and we'll see you next time. Try to remember we do have email recovery from politics at gmail.com You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and all those other great places. Thank you very much. you guys have a great and wonderful day.